And we got to prove to the Mexicans how Mexican we are, and we got to prove to the Americans how American we are. We got to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans, both at the same time. It's exhausting. When I was growing up, it was, yo, a Mexican. You know, I, I'm not Mexican. I've never even been to Mexico, you know? And I went in, but I knew I wasn't white. I had to go back and find that little girl that was falling asleep in the uncle and aunt's laps, hearing that mixture of Spanish and English, because that's really who I was first. Yo no soy de aquí, ni soy de allá. I'm not from over here, and I'm not from over there. Welcome to Reverse Assimilation, a growing audio archive of stories, questions, and conversations surrounding Chicano identity. Where do you find yourself on the assimilation spectrum? And how does that inform our ability to embrace our identity? We are your hosts, Jay Berrones and Lisa Saldivar. How do you remember this meeting? You and I met at a studio space in Mexico City. Um, we were neighbors for a couple months and didn't really talk very much. And then it was brought to light that we were both from Houston, which I was surprised you were American because you look brown as fuck. And Thanks. so the first time that we that I went over to your space. Wait, wait, wait. You actually thought I was like from here? Yeah, I thought you were Mexican. Oh, shit. And I remember the first couple of times we saw each other, I would be like, hola, que onda? And you'd be like, que onda? And then that well, was kind of I was doing the it. same thing. I was like, ah, oh, shit, is this weird? Like, I say, que onda? And she speaks English. Or I say, hey, and she speaks Spanish. You know well, what I mean? But did you think about it? I didn't even think about it. I just assumed. I just assumed everybody in there was some sort of Latino. Like, same. Yeah. So the first time... I walked over to your space and we ended up talking. We talked for like four hours, four and a half hours, if I remember correctly. Right. And we talked about Chicanismo, no? We talked about growing up in Houston as Mexican-Americans, as Chicanos, or coming to terms with at what point we like decided that that was our identity. We talked about... Why we left Houston it. as early as, you know, you I left. With that too. Yeah, I left when I was 17. You left when you were, what, 18? Mm -hmm. For me, it was crazy that you approached with uh, the effect that you had done a thesis or some sort of academic research on something, something that something is Chicanismo. Yeah. That I had always been thinking about my entire life. So, like, at that point, it was crazy because. I didn't know we were going to get into this project. That's the cool thing about this. You know? Yeah, I mean, it's it's morphed a lot. And I think that when I met you, that reason why it lasted four hours, if I remember correctly, is we went back to my studio space and I gave you my thesis presentation, remember? Mm -hmm. And and then from that point on, we've basically, this, this project that I had been working on for two years became our project. And it became something that like you added so much to it and then we and then we just were we were just really trying to figure out what it was we knew we knew our upbringing our experience and then I had all this academic kind of research as a background about assimilation and and political effects of like you know assimilation on minorities and how that affects kind of our mental state of mind you presented to me to the spectrum which mm -hmm. until that point, I had never thought that me being a fifth generation Mexican American had 
was going to have as much effect on how I view myself in the realm of Chicanismo. I didn't know that until you presented me with that. And then so that's what's born this. And it's like for you, you're... Well, so I'm a first-generation Mexican-American, and and I think that in that conversation, something that was super interesting is that, like, you're fifth-generation, right? The border crossed you, basically, yeah. and we talked about that. And my mom crossed the border when, with my grandma when she was five years old. And so we, what was surprising, I think, for both of us was how similar we thought about all these things. And like this realization that it's like, okay, you're, you're fifth generation in the U.S., but you're experiencing the same struggles around your identity that I'm experiencing where my direct line to Mexico is, you know, is really close. Like my mom was born in Morelia, Michoacan, and so it's easy for me to kind of be like, you know, this is where I'm from, but, but, it's, but it's not that simple. about time we explain this project to you so hang in there because we're about to get heady so y'all are going to hear us refer to this assimilation spectrum which is this process that was first published by an american sociologist named milton gordon in 1964 and essentially it's a series of seven steps for how any minority group successfully conforms to dominant white culture in america the steps outline day-to-day life changes all the way to the conscious state of mind. So steps one and two, let's say you just moved to the U.S. Your diet, your language, how you dress, they all start to become more quote-unquote American. As you move into the public sphere though, for example, going to American schools or joining the workforce or any type of inter- social interaction, you naturally become influenced by gringo society. Step three is where Guadalupe marries Jeff, they start a family, and as a result, English becomes the dominant language in the household. According to Milton Gordon, this is when the process is considered complete. Steps four through seven is when your mentality begins to conform to a fundamentally new identity. Your attitude and beliefs become American. You may find yourself more bonded to those around you based on class rather than race to the point that you might champion rules that were set up to eradicate your ethnic identity altogether, or that of your parents or your grandparents. So that's a quick summary of the seven steps of assimilation. You know, if you move into a new culture, assimilation is inevitable. And there's nothing wrong with any of us shaping our identity around where we grew up. You know, eating hamburgers and hot dogs and going to baseball games and shit like that. Objectively speaking, Lisa and I are experiencing this in Mexico just in reverse. Instead of tacos, it's soccer games. (laughs) Yeah, and as Mexican-Americans, or any minority really, it's important that we dissect the negativity around that word. Because look, it's easy to see how confusion arises if your family migrated to the U.S. but never quite assimilated to the culture around you. Or on the other hand, how we can be born into a home that by default was already assimilated farther along on the spectrum and left a lot of us out here wondering why we don't feel closer to Spanish or to our Mexican culture. Right, and wherever we happen to land on this spectrum is through no fault of our own. The purpose of reverse assimilation is to dissect and understand this reality that has often led to collective confusion around Chicano identity and sometimes our division. What did the idea of being Mexican mean to you growing up in Houston, Texas? 
it had a lot of different shades. It had a lot of different colors. It had a lot of different... There was never one, you know? There was never one definitive target when it was like, what does it mean to be Mexican? It's like, because I had to piece it all together. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. So, like, what is my relationship to it? My early on relationships with, like, the idea was always... I specifically remember, like, my family used to go to Memorial Park Mm -hmm. for Easter. That shit was dope, dude. Like, that, you know... It was something about the early years of especially my childhood, but I feel like everybody in the family was having kids around the same time. So, it was yeah. like, you know, and there was like this vibrance around in the family and like the larger family was closer at that time. Right. So like when we go to Memorial Park and we'd have barbecues on Easter Sunday, there'd be fucking uh, volleyball tournaments. Oh, yeah. Horseshoe tournaments. We dude. would do the same at Bear Creek Park. Word. <laughs> you rent the pavilion. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. Easter egg hunts and all yeah. that shit. And mm-hmm. it's like, and we'd listen to the same music, you know, it was all Ramon Ayala and Santana, which is very nostalgic to me. Like, I, like, I, 3,000 times listening to it later, I'm not tired of it. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of being at that park. But I also, at that time when I was at that park, it'd be like, I, I don't remember specific examples or moments. However, what I do remember is like these flashes, right? Where it was like, family would be like, ah, we're Mexican. And, like, and, and pure English. You know? Yeah. Like, ah, we're oh Mexican. Yeah. Bro. Like, yeah, that's what it's most Mexicano or whatever. And I'm yeah. like, all right, cool. So I, I guess we're Mexican. Honestly, like, that just reminded me that, like, for a long time, being Mexican to me felt like, Just oh, saying it. <laughs> saying it or, like, how many fucking people can we fit into a van? That was the other thing, too. Like, a lot of my perception was kind of thwarted in the idea that, like, being Mexican for us, us specifically in Houston as, you know, generations that have been born there and living there, was, like, how many silly stereotypes can we, like, yeah. can we make fun of the fact that we already fulfill? Yeah, and we, know? like, perpet- we perpetuated them within our own cultures, you know? And it's, like... The things that like white people would make fun of us for, we would kind of champion in a way that felt that didn't that felt like well, all we can really do is make fun of ourselves. Nobody can load up a car like an old school Mexican family. You can fit seventeen people in a seventy-six Monte Carlo. Mira, your cousin's not going to sit in the ashtray. What was your what was your relationship with Spanish growing up? Very cool. I think it was really cool. Matter of fact. And the more I tell this sort of story, like the whole like just my whole role with how I learned Spanish, the more I fall in love with my own story. Mm-hmm. Um, because first of all, I grew up with a nanny. No, up until I was like 12 years old. And she was from El Salvador. And I just knew, it was nothing, nothing, you're too young to know the difference, right? It was like, there was a lady in my house who spoke Spanish. That's just what life was, right? And I just wanted to, I needed to communicate with her, right? So it was very a crude way of communicating because it was only about four or five. So that was like my first brushes with it. My neighbors spoke Spanish. Um, 
Did your parents speak Spanish? No. My parents didn't speak Spanish in the house. And they, but like But did they know Spanish? My mom my mom speaks Spanish. My mom speaks really good Spanish. She was a she is was a Spanish teacher, like a what is it? The ESL? Mm-hmm. That's what she started teaching about. That's 15 really years funny because my mom she wasn't an ESL teacher, but she worked like kind of in that realm for most of my life in Houston. So, but y'all spoke Spanish at, at the house? No. No? No. Um, well, my story is not as happy and heartwarming as yours, so I feel like you <laughs> well, should go first. But I, so, like, my my story, my, my brush with all of Spanish is, if I'm, the more I tell the story and the more I realize what I'm saying when I hear myself speak, it really was just a decision. We had this, this conversation the other night, but, like, I really liked Spanish language. I like the way it sounds. I like the way it feels rolling off the tongue. And that was all it took for me to ignite the fire of like wanting to learn it, right? Um, and I, I knew enough Spanish from my experience with the babysitter that I took Spanish in high school as a fuck-off class. I mm-hmm. slept through it and yeah. I aced it. Yeah. You know, and it was great for me. I could catch up on sleep and whatever, you know. Obviously, I was awake for some shit. And I, yeah. I picked up on some stuff like like a lot of people here have, uh, here in Mexico, mm-hmm. as gringos, mm-hmm. have problems with um, future conditional, I think is what it is. Like, gustaría. I don't know. Oh, kind yeah. Of stuff. Okay. And I have no problems with that. Yeah. Because I, I know when to interject it in a place. Because where it goes because I've heard it and like I paid attention to it because I thought it sounded sexy coming off the tongue. Right. So babysitter leaves. I'm like 10 years old, 12 years old when we started staying by ourselves at the house. And at 16 years old, I started working in a restaurant around the corner from the house and I needed to communicate with the cooks as a server. And so that's where I started picking it back up again. Mm -hmm. Right. For out of necessity. Right. But it was still just fun. You know, I got to, like, talk to people that my people in that neighborhood, especially up in Northwest, like, didn't or couldn't or didn't want to talk to. Yeah. You know, and I I felt like I was getting deeper. You know what I mean? At least least with being able to speak another language, I know I'm stuck in the suburbs for now, but at least that helped me feel like I was farther away from home. Yeah. Talking to other people who didn't even speak the language. Yeah, you were, like, embracing that cultural, like, difference that Houston has. Yeah, but embracing, I didn't know I was doing that. Yeah. I just was you like, didn't know you were. I just were. realized, I just felt like, oh, this feels so good. I'm breaking the monotony of the fucking boredom of the suburbs of Northwest Houston, you know? Yeah. And I thought that was great. And then I went off to college and didn't speak much Spanish through there until I got kicked out and then went to Austin and worked in a restaurant there. That was the best part about it. Like, I didn't know, it wasn't like this, I walked into the restaurant industry as a, my motive, my objective here is to, like, really learn about my culture. Nah, I just need a paycheck. Yeah. And by default, there was all Mexicans. and No, there wasn't just Mexicans. It was everybody from everywhere. So, like, by the time... Like, I worked with a lot of Argentinian people, ironically enough. And when mm-hmm. I got to... Before the age of 19. When I got to, like, 21, 22, and I would find myself with other Argentinians in, in Houston. And they'd be like... Super surprised and astounded, like, how do you know about shit? You know, how do you know about boludo? How do you know about this and all that? And I was like, 
because I wanted to. Why is this so fucking weird? Like, why is nobody out here learning Spanish, dude? It is. It is weird. So my story is that, like, when I was young, Spanish was my first language. Was it? Yeah. And I remember being three, four years old speaking Spanish. To whom? To my grandmother, who was an immigrant. Mm -hmm. Um, My mother was also an immigrant. I would mostly speak it to my grandmother and also my my mom. My mom taught it to me, obviously. Um, And then as soon as I entered into kindergarten, I realized that everything around me was in English and I like basically stopped wanting to speak English. Or, I mean, sorry, Spanish. Um, And that's like where my uncoolness begins at the age of four (laughs) around the language. Because what unfortunately happened is like over the years of... Again, I can say this in retrospect. Over the, the, my adolescence in Houston, I very quickly learned that my Mexicanness and my Spanish was something that I should be embarrassed by. And I, and I don't really know how or why that, that feeling. I think I've always been really like, you know, self-conscious and timid, especially when I was young. And... Unfortunately, that's like the the feeling that I had towards Spanish um, almost all of my life. And like you, I would take Spanish and ace it. I took it even at university, like at UT. I took it at university level, never had to study, knew it all. But for whatever reason, just had so much built up self-consciousness around speaking it. Part of it was, is I just, I never was surrounded by it in a way that like it was forced, you know, everyone around me, my grandma, yeah, it helps. It's necessary. I think partially that's why I moved to Mexico. Cause like, you know, I knew that, I knew that it was something I was missing in my life. It was something that like, I knew I needed in order to feel like myself again. And I knew I wasn't going to be able to get it without a hundred percent like immersion forced like you have no other choice lisa um so but that's crazy though because like what that what that says is that you got something to go back to mm-hmm. right so if spanish was your first language like i would think that that would instill in you a point of reference for what is your identity, no? Yeah, but what's interesting is like, you know, where did that shame come from at such an early age? Where did I like start to learn, you know? I mean, I was definitely like made fun of. Do you have, do you have like specific memories? Because that's one of my questions. Like what were, what were, what if any were like, there any like specific instances in your childhood where you remember feeling for the first time like this very visceral disconnect with your cultural identity versus your like your surroundings you know what I'm saying? yeah i have visceral memories of that so my grandmother my mom her name was lorenza and my mom would you know my mom was working like three jobs or something like when we were young she would like drop us off at my grandma's house and we hang out with my grandma all day and um i've been thinking about these memories more and more because my grandma used to speak Spanish to us and we would respond in English. And that was like our entire relationship. And so I was like, you know, I don't know, 10, 11. And we would just go the entire day talking that way. And um, I remember, so obviously like, you know, my grandma did not have a lot of money and we, we would do we would do free shit all day, you know? And we would walk around parks and 
then we would like walk down to uh, Gessner <laughs> near I-10 in the hot fucking Houston summer sun and we'd go into Wendy's because they had AC there. And we'd like sit in Wendy's and we'd each order, you know, something off the 99 cent menu or something like that. And like, I have really vivid memories of it. Cause like, I remember feeling like, like I wasn't quite part of American society and I wasn't quite part of Mexican society either. And I was really young, but, and I couldn't quite wrap my head around it, but I, I felt different and I didn't like feeling different. My grandma was super, she's the one that had the Tejano uh, record store um, down in like God, your South grandma sounds Ward. cool as she shit. She's pretty dope. <laughs> um, she's really active in like, commun- in like a community sense. Yeah. She was always having garage sales, you know, <laughs> always having garage sales. And garage I remember one time. Garage sales were the shit in Houston. Dude, garage sales say. were the social public event. <laughs> we would event. fucking that drive around the, and do that. Garage sales were the fucking sock hop of the century all the time. <laughs> Um, and there was one particular time at this garage, at a garage sale of the mini. I'm sitting there, I'm fucking with stuff on the ground or whatever. And I had to been like eight, nine, ten years old. I know I was in about second grade. And this girl comes by, walking by, she's a classmate of mine. Her name was Rosa. And I don't know her last name. But Rosa starts speaking to me in Spanish. And this was like right in the zone of where like my Spanish is... Barely enough to mm-hmm. you know, get my point across. And yeah. But if I hear you speak, I'm probably not going to understand it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Especially if it's like, if you're an actual native speaker. And Rosa starts speaking to me and I'm like, oh shit. And I was like, I said something. And she, I remember, I'll never forget this shit. She just gave me these eyes, dude. Rosa was like that super, like, from like Campo dude. She was the one yeah. that had like the... The frilly little white socks with like the oh, second hand, those. the second hand like platinum, platinum well, leather white shoes. Yeah. And we wore like sweatpants and a t shirt. Oh, no. <laughs> you know? <laughs> that sounds cool though. Yeah. <laughs> I'd wear that and, right now. And I remember Rosa comes over and I tried to respond to whatever she said and she crossed her arms and she looked at me. She gave me that fucking death stare. I was like, you know, like, what the, what's wrong with you? Yeah. And basically, it was like, yeah. I was like, what? What's wrong with me? She was like, you're not Mexican, are you? In Spanish, she was like, you're not Mexican, are you? I was like, what? Yeah, I am. You know? She's like, no, you're not. I was like, what do you mean I'm not? Yes, I am. I just went to Easter barbecue and they all said we were Mexican, dude. You know? We all piled in a fucking van, 12 of us. We ate more barbecue than you did. We're Mexican, I think. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And that I'll so never confusing. forget that because, yeah. because at the same time, check this shit out. So the next, you know, if not the same year, if not the same week, I don't know, whatever, but around the same time, you go to school, right? And what, what was one of the big reasons why also she was like looking at me all weird? She was like, you know, you look like me, but why don't you speak the fucking language correctly? Yeah. And that's what, that was the first real, real life brush with this shit, right? So then you go to school and you go to play, go to recess. Mind you, I played baseball my entire life growing up, mm-hmm. you know? You go to school... And at recess, people go to play soccer, you know, and I go to play soccer. Mind you, because I'm always out in the sun, I was super brown. Oh, my God. I was. I should show you photos someday. I was so fucking dark. I was darker than this. Because I was was too. I was too. 
But we'd go to play soccer. And then you played because that's just, there ain't nothing else going on. And I would always get picked first, right? <laughs> just because I was brown. And then we'd start playing and I'd be like, I would suck because I don't play soccer. And all the white kids would be like, what's wrong with you? Like, dude, you're Mexican. Like, yeah. you know, you're Mexican. You should be good at this. And yeah. Like, well, fuck you, dude. Like, this Mexican just told me I'm not Mexican. Now Kyle's over here telling me that you're not you're Mexican brown. either. You're Mex- no, yeah. he's telling me that I am. Yeah, but then you suck. But he's assuming because you're brown, yeah. you should be good at this yeah. because you are Mexican. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, well, fuck, dude. Like, Kyle's telling me one thing, Rosa's telling me another thing, my family's saying one, something in between, <laughs> yeah. you know? And I just could never figure it out. So I was like, that was the beginning of this, like, the very like Selena thing. It was yeah. Like, you know, what, you know, yeah. I'm in the middle. What the, the fuck? Which one do I do? Mexican. Yeah. My dad, like, instead of my, instead of my parents ever having this conversation with me, and I don't blame them for this because I don't think that they ever had this conversation with themselves. But instead of them ever have, like, you know, for us to like sit down and talk about this, what what my dad did was we were all watching Selena, and I and I, we probably watched that movie I don't know thirty times growing up. It was always on, like, fucking TBS. We put it TBS. on every year of March, dude. <laughs> yeah. On her death. Yeah, yeah, that too. Um, but my instead of, like, having that conversation, my dad would just always pause it right at that part where the dad's like, and the Mexicans don't think we're Mexican enough, and the Americans don't think we're American enough, and it's fucking confusing. It's hard, you know? It's This is the struggle. And he would just be like, you know, he would pause it, he would look at us, and he'd be like, girls? <laughs> you know, like, this is, you know, he would basically Mika? just repeat it. Yeah, like, Mika? Yeah, totally. What about my Spanish? I've been singing in Spanish for 10 years. It's perfect. Singing, yes. But when you speak it, you speak it a little funny. I look back on that time, like that, that actual era. What I think about is watching for the first time my grandmother light candles and say prayer. My grandmother cried. And she was mourning and she was so in touch with her feelings, you know? And I, and I do feel, I, oh God, <laughs> I might get a little choked up. Let it rip. <laughs> I lost her like a year or two later. And I think that that, fuck. Losing my grandmother, I realize now when I was like, I think I must have been 13, was kind of like what solidified some like a closing of a chapter of like my relationship with Mexico, like my direct line, mm. you know, because my mom, she grew up in the US and so she had adopted a lot of these American ideals and she really wanted to be successful. Her process of assimilation really started early on first of all and secondly was that that assimilation and the the pain and the sadness behind that was transferred onto us and I do think that that's where a lot of my shame came from but when I think back to my childhood and like those Saturdays hanging out with my grandma we would she had a fucking red pickup truck she would throw us in the back me and my sister were like so fucking young driving around like Gessner and Fucking all around Houston while she ran her errands and uh, just in the back of the pickup truck. It was so fucking fun. And, you know, she's the one that, like, really introduced me to Selena. And, and, and she was also so spiritual and so, like, 
you know, she always had an altar set up and she, she like, if, if someone, it, you know, the el ojo, whenever you're growing up, like if someone looks at your baby and you, it, no, you've never heard one. of this? this you, you, it basically is just like they can get sick. And so she would like, we would have, <laughs> she would like do these like kind of things where you would rub you with a raw egg and like you'd have to sleep under it. And my mom hated when she would do shit like that. And she'd be like, don't do that to my kids, you know? And it was only like later that I found out that like she would try to do those kind of spiritual uh, practices on us. So that's like my really wow. Long I think that happens. That I you said you saying that don't do that to my kids. Yeah. Holy fuck! Like I can't place it because I don't know if my mom said it to my grandmother, or my aunt said it to my grandmother. But I know I've heard that. Don't do that to my kid. You know, don't yeah. teach them that. You know, we're yeah. not that. We're not that. So it's, yeah. And it's like, but that's Mexican. But you're over here saying it's it's, it's massively confusing. It's massively confusing. Yeah, and it's really. I think what makes me so sad about it is that I see how losing my grandmother at that young age and losing my relationship with her really set the tone for the following decade of me like and and the struggles that I had around my identity and the struggles I had around just really being confident and proud of like who I am as a person. My grandmother grew up in San Antonio, Texas in the 1930s, and when she was going to elementary school, she was told that speaking Spanish was illegal. She was forced to wear a sign around her neck that says, I won't speak Spanish. She was physically intimidated and abused by her teachers and her administrators. And sadly, this experience is common for many Mexican-American Latinos and other immigrants that have come into this country. What is your parents' view on what is Chicanismo? Do they even like acknowledge it? Do they reject it? Do you know? This is, so, is it, do they grasp it? I would say that, you know, my, my, my mom, she grasps it. She assimilated by like out of survival. You know, this is a really common story in the Chicano community. Our parents would go to school, they would get beat at school if they spoke Spanish, you know? And so she internalized that at a really young age and she used to tell me that her and her her sister would sit in front of the TV and they would like, they were determined to speak English without accents. That was the pinnacle of success for them. They would practice over and over and over again. and. Um, both of my parents have stories like that. My dad was in a jazz band. He played the saxophone, and it was, it was a bunch of Chicanos, and they were fucking traveling around the U.S. What? Sometimes. You say your dad was a boring man. Well, no, I That's never said anything he was, but boring. I never said he was boring, and I, it's it's more complicated than that. I think if anything. He's, he's an, an anomaly. He's confusing. But let me tell you, let me tell you. So like he would, they would drive around Houston mostly. Sometimes they would show up, him and his band, and the bar owner would be like, oh no, you guys didn't tell me you're a bunch of Mexicans. You can't play here. Or oh, like, shit. yeah, they would get rejected. They would get like booed off stage, stuff like that. Um, and so my, both of my parents have like, you know, you just get my mom drunk and she'll talk about this all night long. She's got, they've got stories about the, the actual physical pain they had to endure 
um, being Mexican, you know, being beaten up and stuff like that. I say all that to say that like, I think my parents did that to a whole other extreme because it wasn't just emotional pain. They were dealing with actual physical danger. danger. Yeah. yeah, totally. Like, yeah, um, and I think what happened, you know, they the both of them have lived in Houston their entire lives. And so for me, it's easy, you know, I left Houston also when I was 17 and have never lived there since. But for them, you know, it was very much like I'm doing I I'm doing this out of survival and to succeed to the world around me. And so for that reason, you know, they weren't proud Chicanos. They were they were very self-deprecating and they were for them, you know, a, a huge sense of pride came from when we were successful in our our assimilation in different ways. I learned early on that like, you know, the more I could kind of please or blend in to the world around me, that was what being prideful was. Like we we moved into a neighborhood when I was like in middle school, I think, um, that was mostly white. And I remember them like telling us like, you know, we needed to like be be better behave like kind of be like these model citizens to not like make other people notice us or be upset that we were moving in you know because back in those days like if it's an all-white neighborhood and a bunch of mexicans move in like people used to get upset about stuff like that their relationship to it was to suppress it and that's really that i mean that's that's been a a sadness that i've had to like overcome the fragmented inclusion of people of color in the dominant curriculum leaves many students of color feeling like guests in someone else's house. And if you're a guest in someone else's house, right, you feel like you can never relax and put your feet up on the table. Guests are not family whose foibles and mistakes are tolerated. A minute, but like I remember sitting in the kitchen at the house. And right around the time where I was trying to really figure out, I was like, what is this, this Chicano thing? What is this, what is this word? You know, it's not something that was, it's not a word that was prevalent in the house. No. You know? Or in Texas in general, I would, I would say. Oh, absolutely. But hold on. Like, I'm sitting there and I'm asking my mom, I had just read something by Cheech, Cheech Moran. Mm -hmm. You know Cheech? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, and I can't recall exactly what it was. But he was, I think he was talking about the voter's ballot and that, you know, to write the word Hispanic on a rotor's ballot as in, you know, giving a category to Latino people or whatever, it's like, that's an abomination. You know, that comes from the Spanish descent. You're, you know, excluding, negating, you know, hundreds of generations and different shades of indigenous people to this side of the world. And it all made sense to me. And, and then he touched on, you know, Chicanismo and like what it is and like how... In, there's this subculture that exists along the belt between Texas and California that's very pre prevalent that we're not talking about, right? So I asked my mom, I was like, what do, what do you think about, you know, like, where Chicanos, like, what do you think about that? You know, like, what's, mm -hmm. like, I'm trying to figure out, like, I'm, and really what I'm asking her for is to shed some light on it that helps me feel strong in my yeah. identity. Yeah. Because I'm supposed to get that from you, right? I mean, naturally, right? 
And as soon as it comes out of my mouth, she's, I remember exactly how she was standing at the table and shit too. She like had her hands like to the side and was like, had her face like kind of side <laughs> looking at me out the side of her face and shit. She was like, I don't like that word. Don't be saying that word. I was like, what? Whoa. Yeah. I did not expect that reaction. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I was like, whoa, hold on, hold on. Wait, why, did, why is that the reaction? What's going on here? Like, how, yeah. how did this come be? It's like your grandfather would be rolling over in his grave if he heard you use that word yeah. referring to us. I was like, what? Why? Yeah. Somebody tell me why. Well, you know, back in our parents' generation, that word was like politically charged. It was like saying, you know, you're, uh, well, as you far are as my rebelling mom against the system that was like putting him, like that, that a lot of Mexicans at that time were trying to succeed in. You know, especially in Texas, like in California, that that word became really popularized because of like the people, the immigrants that were working on the farms and they were, the, you know, rising up. I mean, not to give you the whole history on that, but like for my mom, that was like, you know, almost like this like rebel, like you're like this like rebel, you're like causing trouble, you're like, you're stirring up something whenever a lot of Mexicans in Texas were just trying to blend in. They were just like trying not to like like everything my dad just said. Don't we're model citizens, camouflage ourselves. And in California, they were like rising up and making all these news headlines. And so I think it makes sense. It was like a, a lot of Texans, you know, not all of them. I know San Antonio had a huge movement against it, um, but it took time. It took time for it to get to Texas, and it took time for people to stand up and kind of like protest in the way that. We tend to assume, assimilate to the culture that's around us. And what's interesting is that Texas is a really conservative, traditional oh, yeah. place. So our background is an assimilation to conservatism. Whereas like a lot of the Mexican Americans, immigrants in California are assimilating to a more liberal way of thought. Totally. So for me, I didn't really truly understand like that kind of more liberal way of thought. It took me getting mm. to the West Coast before I could really understand But the truth of the matter is, is that we have always been a separate society. When we wanted to integrate the majority society, which is the Anglo society, would not let us integrate. And now that we don't want to integrate, they are saying integrate. So it doesn't matter what we want to do, they always take the opposite form. And we're no longer playing that game. We're doing what we want to do, rather than what they want us to do. Won't that make them angry? That's their problem, not our problem. All right, what you just heard is our first interview, getting to know each other a little bit. The topics that we covered in this conversation will form the foundation of the audio archive we like to call Reverse Assimilation. My friend, let us ride the